when you come into a new a new position, you want to establish trust with your team. They're the ones who are going to be in the fights with you, right? They're going to have your back, but you need to have theirs first. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. Today, my guest is David Tischgart. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, David. Looking forward to digging into all things leadership with you. But first, would you share with us your role and the company that you work for? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'm the vice president of marketing at Data.World. Data.World is a cloud-based enterprise data catalog. And what that means is that we make it easier for companies to find, understand, and use the data that they have in their environment. It's really difficult for companies to kind of figure out what data they need for analysis, where it's located. And even if it were easy for analysts to find the data, sometimes they don't understand it when they get it because the terms are a little kludgy and, and they just, you know, what, what a term in one spreadsheet might mean, might mean something completely different in a spreadsheet in another system. And so what we do is we make it easier for people to understand what the terms actually mean so that when they perform their analysis, it's trusted and it's easy to share and share with people where they can understand that data as well. So that's really uh, what we're trying to do is just make analysis much easier and more understandable and trusted for enterprise users. Cool. Make analysis easier. I like the sound of that. Can you give us an example of the verticals or you know a particular use case or two where that you guys really focus on? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and go out on a limb and make a bet that every single person listening to this podcast right now has a data problem. If you are in the enterprise at all, actually, you don't even need to be a large enterprise. You could be you could be a startup that is looking to get ahead of your competition. You could be a government agency that's trying to figure out how to democratize access to data and maybe share data with your constituency. You could really be anybody that recognizes that data might be the solution to a problem, but you can't find data or you don't understand data when you do find it. And so what we're tackling is a very, very horizontal problem. There's no company in the world that isn't trying to use data in a, you know, in a more strategic way. We are seeing a lot of uptake in high tech, in insurance, in healthcare, in banking, in retail, really, really in, uh, in all verticals. And we're starting to see a lot of interest in state and local government. One, one interesting thing about us is that in addition to having an enterprise data catalog, we also have a, an open data platform. So what that means is that if you're an organization that's looking for a data set, say you're looking for census data, you're looking for COVID-19 data, you can come to data.world and really find any of that data that you want. And you could bring that in and combine it with maybe some of your internal data. So you've got external sources that are adding 
to an enriching your analysis. So a lot of state and local governments are using that too because they have they have requirements to share data with their constituencies. And so they'll share that data a lot of times on data.world. We also see a lot of media companies, the Associated Press is a big user of data.world. So they'll they'll be running a story about let's say how, you know, bridges are faring across the country, you know, what's the state of infrastructure and they have all sorts of data that they've gathered and they want to share that out with their various publications with the AP, you know, in Spokane, with the AP outlet in, you know, a small town in Oklahoma, right? And so those journalists, those AP reporters that are in certain municipalities can actually pull that data and use data.world to uh, localize their data stories, which is really, really neat. So I love the way, you know, we've got companies like the Associated Press using us. We've got really, really large media companies like WPP using us. There are a number of, of different use cases for data.world. Like I said, it's really just about, hey, help me understand and find data. And that's what yeah. we're all about. That's okay. That's fascinating. Now I got to ask one question on the horizontal versus vertical world and you being the VP of marketing, perfect person to answer this from a leadership perspective. What kinds of challenges does going horizontal present in an environment like this, where there's so many different potential applications and use cases because you are spreading across a lot of different disciplines and domains. And how do you think about that from a marketing perspective versus, you know, perhaps the company that is super focused on one niche and knows their customer and literally says the exact words that they were talking about in their boardroom, you know, on their on their website to attract some interest. Um, curious for your thoughts on how that horizontal piece plays out and how you think about that versus being vertical specific or niche specific. Yeah, it's really interesting because it provides you a lot more opportunity, right? There's, there is no vertical that we can't go into with a really good story because everybody, when they have data problems, they talk about it and think about it in the exact same way. So really we can, we can go anywhere. It provides us a lot of opportunity. So the way, the way we handle it is we know who our buyers are. Like we don't focus on a particular industry. We focus on people. So we know that, that people that, are really interested in data governance, or they are in online communities and talking about data governance, or they're searching for data governance on the web. And you know, we can we can track those using intent data, intent data tools. So if we know that people are searching for data governance, or maybe they're searching specifically for data catalog, or they're saying, how do I find data? Whatever questions they're asking, that's it opens a door for us. And we so we look for those people. We go to events so we know these people are going to be attending. We we speak at we speak at a lot of those uh, at a lot of those events. We we create content geared towards those types of audiences, and then we really see who who takes it up. Right? Who who are the folks that are consuming our marketing content? Who are the folks that are requesting demos? And if we see a spike in a particular vertical, like I mentioned, uh, I mentioned state and local government. I mentioned. Uh, insurance. If we see spikes in verticals like those, then we say, okay, I think we have something here. Let's go a little bit deeper here. We're not going to ignore the horizontal aspect of what we do, but we are starting to kind of carve out little niches for ourselves where, hey, you know what? Insurance is an incredibly, incredibly manual. Data discovery insurance is incredibly manual, let's say. And there is a lot of emailing of spreadsheets around, which is, is a colossal disaster. 
you email a spreadsheet to somebody, they change a cell or two in a spreadsheet, and then they email it off to something. And now all of a sudden you have an entirely, you, you're working on entirely different data. And there's no way to track what changed in that spreadsheet once once it left. And that, that's how insurance works. Uh, that is terrifying to think about the decisions that insurance companies are making with that kind of stuff happening. And so with the data catalog, it's kind of like acting as a central source, if you will, for trusted data. You know, you can avoid that. So we see insurance companies really struggling. And we say this is an opportunity for us to maybe go deeper on insurance than, than maybe we need to do on retail right now. Not to say retail wouldn't benefit from our solution. But if we see just insurance spiking, that's where we're going to focus a little bit of marketing. While we still we still look at the horizontal aspects, we really we're very opportunistic when we see spikes in in uh, who's you know who's trending for what we do. Then we we go hard in that vertical. Yeah, that's a fascinating kind of explanation there. Thank you for that. You know, what I took away is that you guys know your buyers, regardless of what industry they happen to be in. And you know what the questions are that they're asking, and those are universally applicable across industries, which is wonderful and sets you up for success in that horizontal play. So super cool view into the horizontal versus vertical. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to be 100%, 100% right in the path you take. But I think like what you just said is spot on. If you know your customers and you're listening to what they're asking, then you're going to be okay, right? That's that's the That's the key thing for us is we're not going to, we don't want to get ahead of our customers. We want to listen to them, understand what their challenges are. And if we think this is an area, we can, a challenge we can go solve for them, then we're going to go do that. Love it. Cool. All right. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. You're at the VP seat now, but it wasn't always that way. So would you take us back in time and tell us about how you got into your first people leadership position? Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, I'll I'll wind the clock back a little bit. I won't say how far back because that might give away a little bit too much about myself. But let's say it was more than a decade ago. Uh, <laughs> I was at Dell. I was a you know product marketing in their uh, services division, and my manager at the time had to take an unexpected leave of absence, and it was. It was, it was kind of in question how long it was going to be. And so she reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind running this team for a little bit? I'm, sure, why not? You know, I, I, I can do this. What do I know, right? The first day I got, I got there, knowing that I am now in charge of this team of 18 people, walk into this room, sit down, and just kind of look out on this desk. And have you ever seen pictures of the president in, in the in the yeah. big boardroom with the table and yeah. surrounded by all yeah. his joint chiefs. That's how that's sort of how I felt in the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just looking around the room, being like, am I what am I doing here? How did I get put in this position? But then you have a choice to make, right? You're like, I, I'm either gonna gonna you know shrink and and not take advantage of this opportunity and say, okay, you know what? Look at the person next to me and say, you know what? You do it, or you just you just start talking. And you start, you start doing it. And so it was not your standard kind of promotion to leadership. It was sort of your leadership is, was thrust upon you, you know, as, as sometimes they say in, in you know, Harry Potter and, and some other stories, right? You know, was, leadership was just thrust upon me. And I took advantage of it because I knew that in the moment I was the person that was designated for the role and I wanted to show that I could do it. And I was, this is a great opportunity for me. And it actually was, I think, I was lucky because my team said, you know what, he's our guy. We're going to go, we're going to go follow him. And it worked out really, really well for us. And I ended up leading the team for, 
you know, for the rest of my time there until I moved on to my next, to my next role. I learned so much about, about that. And it, it shaped so much of who I am today as a leader, because you recognize that, you know, leadership can be fleeting and, uh, you know, opportunities can be fleeting. If you let something pass you by, it may never come around again. So take advantage of it when it comes and you know what, step up to the plate. Even if you don't have all the answers right now, you've got time to figure that out. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Trust, trust your team and just, you know, get, get going. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Kind of, that's really, that was kind of how the, that was how I felt at the moment. It's like, I just, let's just do it. Let's get, let's get this started. Right. And I can't quite imagine what it was like walk in and sit down and have the, the cabinet looking meeting going on. I know Dell, I'm sure had some very nice conference rooms and tables and the whole thing filled and 18 people looking at you like, okay, David, where are yes. we going? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, your move boss. And I'm yeah. just like, oh man. <laughs> right, right. And in that moment, I love how you called that out. There's one of two choices. You pass the buck and give it to somebody else or you take advantage, even though you might fail miserably, you might be successful. You really have no idea in that moment, right? Right. It's, it's really a unique feeling, but that was the point where I, I said to myself, I don't know if I'm going to be here ever again. And if I don't do this now, that's the thing that I'm going to be thinking. I might be looking at my life 10 years and say, what if, and I never want to look back in my life with regrets with saying, what if, and I feel like that's how I've lived my life since then. I've taken a lot of, a lot of risks to get where I am and you know, they weren't all the right ones at the time, but uh, they all got me to where I am, which, and I'm very happy right now. So Now, prior to that, was that your persona? Was very much that risk-taking and just not going to, don't want to say no, don't want to have any regrets? Or was that something that evolved as a result of being in that position and then you kind of continued to take advantage of afterwards? You know, it's funny because like if you had asked me that in the moment, I would have thought, oh, I'm very risk-averse. I'm pretty conservative. But when I look back on my life and the decisions I've made, they've all been probably wildly stupid would be a good way to categorize it because I have, I have left, I've left really great opportunities. I've changed careers. I've, I've moved places without jobs. I think all in the name of just challenging myself and trying to, trying to get better and seeing if I could do it. So yeah, I started off as a, with a career in broadcasting and I moved to a town right out of college that I've never been to. I didn't even heard of, and I got a job there. And it's really difficult for anybody who's ever been in broadcast journalism. Uh, you know, jobs are really hard. There's only about 220 markets in the United States, and then not every one of those, not every one of those cities has. And by the way, this is different now because broadcasting is all done on the internet. But at the time, I was I was looking for a job. You know, there was NBC, CBS, and ABC, and Fox was wasn't even a thing at the time. Every city had about three TV stations. And so if you want one of those jobs, you're just going to have to go somewhere in the United States that you've never heard of. And that's what I did. I, I left I left Austin and moved out to a town called Grand Junction, Colorado, and didn't know anybody, didn't know where it was. I thought it was in the mountains. I didn't know it wasn't until I woke up in my hotel room the next day, walked outside, and I was like, what the world is this place? You know? And and so I guess in a way I've I've always been a risk taker. It's gotten me where I am, and I think it's it's saying yes to a lot of things that people might otherwise say no to. If you don't uh, 
if you don't take that opportunity, someone else is going to take it for you and, and you're not going to get another shot at it. Okay. That's, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of courage moving moving to places that you have never even heard of, didn't even know where it was, you know, for a chance at working in a job that you hoped would be would be great and maybe was for a little bit, but then eventually changed because you went into the tech field. Right. I, but even even then, like I was a, I was a, a TV anchor for a while and they're like, hey, can you do weather too? We, we need a weather person. And I said, you mean the, the person who stands at the green screen and points at things? Sure, I can do that. <laughs> I don't know anything about the weather, but yeah, why not? I'll give that yeah. a shot. And so I also was a weather guy for a little while too. There you go. And That's yeah, amazing. it was, if I could have the lifestyle that I have and do the weather, I would do that tomorrow. I hope this isn't being recorded because I hate for my bosses to hear this. But doing the weather was amazing. It was one of my favorite, favorite uh, jobs. But you know, it was super fun. But that's a thing that I really just sort of also decided to give a shot at, even though I didn't know how to do it. And I learned a ton. And now I could stand at a, at a blank wall and point to things and say cities. And, uh, you know, I feel like a real weatherman when I do that. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. All right. So when you went through this transition, you took over this team, there's 18 people and you got over that first hurdle, which is like, I'm going to get in the ring. I'm going to do this. Tell us a little bit about the navigating that environment, not having been in that position before, having observed your boss and previous people that you had worked for in various leadership positions, but you personally having been in that space before. So how did you navigate some of those waters that now all of a sudden you had a whole different level of responsibility with these 18 people than you did before. Right. I'll, I'll give you a couple of different ways to think about that because it's, it, it's sort of changed as I've, as I've matured and had been organizations different size. I think, I think Dell is an outlier because Dell, you know, certainly it's an outlier when you think about most companies and probably most people listening to this podcast are not you know, working at companies the size of Dell, they may be working at smaller companies and wanting to know how to progress in their careers and leadership. Dell is very regimented. Like Dell, you kind of almost follow a script no matter what your role is, right? So I knew that as a leader of this team, there were like certain things I needed to do. And I had a checklist almost where I could do those things. So it was pretty prescriptive. And, and I had to, I had to, you know, lead the team and help them be supportive and, and, in nurturing as, as a manager. And I, so it was, but I, I was still also doing my individual contributor role at the time too. So it's a little bit of a dual role, but I knew how to, I knew how to do the individual contributor piece and the manager piece. I had, I had a script. I had, a, I had things that I knew I was going to be able to do. Right. So, so I think with there, it was really just gaining the trust of my team and then, and then continuing to build relationships and, and earn their trust over and over and over again. And I was able to do that because you know, we were successful as a company at the time. And I think they were successful 
as people at the time. Like I, I didn't hear anybody saying, oh, I wasn't able to get this done or I wish I'd gotten more help or, you know, I feel like my career stalled out. That, that didn't happen. That didn't happen while I was there. And so, but I, in my next job where I was, I was running marketing at a startup, which, oh my gosh, going from a company with a hundred thousand people to a small company where you're employee number 13, that is quite a change. And there is no script for how you do that. And that is literally learning on the job, even as you're a leader and you're trying to build a team and and start up, you know, get a lead gen engine revved up at a company for the first time and and trying to figure out like how to create your first piece of marketing collateral and then distribute it, how to, you know, build your first pipeline. All of these things are just you've got to you've got to find people in the industry that you that you trust that can help you show you the ropes be very humble about what you don't know, be willing to listen and learn a lot and fail a lot and apologize a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference for me is, is when I think about how I navigate, I look at where my career went after that first leadership position. I took a risk in going to a startup because I knew that it was either leave Dell and, and try my hand at a startup and see if I could build something or just stay at, stay at Dell, which wouldn't have been a bad thing at all. Cause it's a great company, but it was, it's not who I am. I wanted a, I wanted a new challenge. I wanted to see if I could do something truly different and stretch myself and, and become, you know, an executive at a, at a growing company. And there, like I said, there is, there is no script for that. You really have to just sort of figure it out as you go and everybody's going to take a different tact. And it also depends on your CEO too. And, and the slack that they're willing to give you, I'll tell you a great piece of advice that I, that I, I was given and I live by it pretty much in everything I do when I, when I start a new job, which is don't try to do everything. Don't try to impress everybody. Just pick one thing that you know you can do and just do that. Like figure out just one thing, whether it's, I'm going to write a one page overview. I am going to write, a killer, you know, product spec. I'm going to, I'm going to build a badass demo. I'm going to crush an event. Just do one thing. And if you do that one thing really, really well, your, your boss will lay off you and give you like carte blanche to do whatever the hell you want to do after that. That's what I did. That's what I did at, at my first startup. I just picked one thing. We did a South by Southwest event and I knew I would kill it. And it was great. We had it. We had a great time. We got a lot of leads from it. And that just, got the ball rolling on the company. Another place was, it was a, a Gartner research paper and at, at, you know, at data.world, it was an, it was a Forrester event. So there was always one thing that I wanted to just do really, really well, make sure everybody knew that it was that, that I did it or that I was leading that, that project, right? It's not all me. It never is. You have a lot more leash to do what you want, the next thing you want to do. And then you also have an opportunity to fail too. And no one's going to, no one's going to get mad at you because you did the one you did the one thing really really well in the beginning. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's fascinating. Wonderful piece of advice. I think it's probably even applicable. Would you say inside of an existing environment where you've been in there that perhaps you've gotten overloaded? Maybe you have a little bit bigger agenda over the next six months than you had planned, and you can scale back and say, you know what, I got to clear the decks, and I'm just going to focus on this one thing. And I'm curious if have you ever experienced that or had someone on your team go through that where it's a little bit different because you're not coming in fresh, you know, off the street for, for a new role, but you are 
kind of taking a step back and saying, I'm just going to narrow the focus and really knock it out of the park with this one thing. It's funny that you asked that. It's very difficult to go back. If you've, if you've established yourself as, as doing something really well, and then you've broadened that to do other things well, like right now, I'd say we started off, we were very small, very small marketing team when I joined here and we, we killed it at an event and you might think, okay, well, it's just an event, you know, so what? It just shows that you, you, you're capable and that you're, you, you're somebody they can trust. Right. So we did that. And then we moved on to, to more events and we expanded into, into doing a lot more webinars and, and, and really becoming a, a content machine. That was my goal to be this, like, I want to create more content than any tech magazine that's ever created. Like, I just want to be an absolute content repository for all things, data and analytics, particularly data, data governance. And we are, we are close to getting there right now. Uh, it's amazing the amount of volume that we're putting out on really good quality content. And now that's, that's sort of the expectation, unfortunately, that we've set. And so if I said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to slow the content engine down and just focus on killing at events, I think I'd get a lot of looks like, well, what are you, what are you doing, right? Like, what, why, why is this? So we, we've sort of set a bar that's really, really high. And so I think the thing that we have to do now is, is not necessarily like take our foot off the gas, but it's really like focus and measurement because now the question isn't, can you do it? It's okay. So what are we getting for all the stuff you're doing? We see the content, we see the, we see the sponsorships, we see the people out there speaking. We know you're out there, but, but show me how is that bringing value back into the business? Right. And that, that to me is, is the most important thing is how are you measuring? How are you reporting? How are you thinking? And this is key for, for, I think, marketing leaders now is it used to be all about, it used to be all about the MQL and it's all about, okay, you did this event. How many MQLs did it leave? How many, you know, how many MQLs? What was the number? Okay. Is it down or up from last time you did this? And, and like, that's what, that's what people are looking at. And for me, I'm like, that's an interesting data point. Like I like to know that, but I don't, I don't like bring my hands around it and don't freak out. I'm like, Oh my God, what are we going to tell the board? We had, we had a lower MQL number on this, on this webinar than we did the webinar before that. At the end of the day, what matters is, 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 are you, bringing in good quality leads that convert into, into deals that, you know, in the pipeline. Right. So what my team is focused on is not MQLs. It is, is deals in the pipeline. That's so important because at the end of the day, that's how you're providing value to the business. You could, you could have an incredible lead flow, but if they're not progressing in your pipeline, then you're probably doing something wrong and you're targeting. Nobody wants that. And so what I think about like, when I think about where where we are today, it's not about it's not about changing up what we're doing or doing less or like getting back to like first principles and and really focusing on that thing that I did really well in the past. It's no, we're going to keep doing what we're going to do. If there's ever a question about why we're doing it, we are going to have all the data that backs up what it is we're doing, the investments we're making. And once we've proven out that those are sound investments then you know we can continue to build on those or we can go explore other areas we were talking before this that that we have a podcast now too which is also part of our content empire and that's a tough thing to report on because it's really hard to track our podcast isn't plugged into our our crm right so it's hard to track exactly the value you're getting for from this but you know from our podcast but it's amazing thought leadership and we calculate value based on 
how many people are commenting on on LinkedIn or are finding us outside of our you know normal course of business and saying, hey, I I, I know you guys from that podcast or you know I listened I listened to you while I was exercising the other day and it was really fun and made me laugh or you know I learned something and that that while not necessarily something you could track in your CRM is meaningful is meaningful to the company. And it's also a huge competitive advantage because nobody else in our space is, is doing this. Yeah, that, no, that's that's wonderful. And, you know, the point you made about not focusing on the MQL, but instead focusing on the deals in the pipeline also demonstrates a tremendous amount of alignment between the customers that the prospects you are getting to raise their hand and say, I'm interested in what you have to offer. And the people that convert are very much in line with your target profile, right? And we've seen when, you know, in many SaaS companies in particular, and many companies period, when the marketing engine is one thing, but kind of isolated from the rest of the business because they're solely focused on MQLs, you can get a lot of MQLs and they may even close deals, but if they're not the right fit customer, they're going to churn. And it's just a waste of time and money and effort. And so I love what you said about, you know, MQL is just one data point. It's really about the having those ideal customers in your pipeline and ultimately converting and becoming becoming long-term customers. Because, you know, if you speak to them in the right way, they will stick around. Yeah. And advocates, too. That's one thing we pride ourselves on is, is not that we have a lot of customers are long-term customers, but every single one of our customers, and, and I would submit that it is 100% of them, are advocates for us out there in the market. We, we, we hear oftentimes that, hey, I, I, I was referred to you by such and such customer. And that's, that's how I found you. The customers and, and industry analysts, we have a lot of referrals from Gartner. And that's because we put in the work, right? We put in, we put in a lot of work with our analysts. We create great relationships with them. We make sure our customers are supremely happy, not just with our product, but with the service that we provide. And that all comes back around. Uh, that all comes back around to the end. And it, it's hard to measure. And sometimes it's a very, it's a very long tail thing. You know, you'll you'll do something up for a customer and then you don't know that there's value in it until maybe a year later when you get a referral from that customer. You have to trust that the investments that you're making today are going to pay off down the line, even if you can't quite attach attach a number to them in the moment. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And that is a great parallel between, you know, just the the difference between having the short term view and having the long term view. Right. And same reason that you focused on doing the one thing really well in the beginning to earn the right and earn the trust to say that these things are going to be play out over the long term. And you can trust that I'm going to do this correctly and I'm go we're going to go the right direction as a result of being in that position and having earned the right to do that. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it'd be pretty hard if you came in as a leader and said, all right, guys, in like 12 to 18 months, it's going to be awesome here. <laughs> and the people are looking at you like, come again? Hold on. Versus coming in, someone you coming in and saying, okay, there's the, you know, South by Southwest is going to be our marquee thing in the next quarter. We're going to nail it out. And here's my goals and here's my objectives. Like, okay, I can get my heads around that. I can't get my head around trusting you for the next 12 to 18 months right off the right. bat. And then the, but, and then the other side to that is that your team isn't going to follow you if you if you join them and you have a stack of papers about a mile high with all the stuff you're going to do and all the changes you're going to make they they don't want to hear from that either right when you come into a new a new position you want to establish trust with your team they're the ones who are going to be in the fights with you right they're going to have your back but you need to have theirs first and 
you've got to come in with with a plan to to just do one thing really really well rather than than boiling the ocean and and if you can show them that you are you are capable and you know what you're doing you've got not just the idea but the you know the execution strategy and the measurement strategy because again it all comes back to well what did this get us if you can show that you have those that in your mind and you're not asking for inhuman acts from your team then they're going to trust you and they're going to go to they're going to you know they're going to go to bat for you yeah love it that's awesome all right so there was there was one other story you told me about in when we were catching up beforehand that that was really interesting and along the thread of saying yes and being open to opportunities and take advantage of them and you got a call one sunday night many years ago <laughs> in costco of all places uh in the meat department i think it was would you tell us what that call was and what it led to Oh man, you were so close to getting this, but no, it was in the frozen fish aisle. I was close. <laughs> hey, fish is meat. Fish is meat. That's close. That's a good point. That's a that's, that's a great point. Oh <laughs> my gosh, this is so funny. Yeah. So this is just sort of like serendipitous stuff, right? This is how this is how things things happen, and you have those pivotal moments, kind of like the the moment I shared earlier at Dell, where it's a Sunday. And I'm in Costco with my wife, and we are we are in the frozen food section, probably looking at some some cod, maybe some sea bass. Don't remember what it was, but uh, yeah, my 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 boss calls, and he's like, he's like, David, what are you doing right now? I'm like, well, I'm in Costco, Larry. What what do you need? I need you to get to the airport and go to New York. I was like, <laughs> uh, like tomorrow, or you know? And he's like, no, no, no. I need you to go right now. You need to go and represent us at what was then this event called Hadoop World. It was a big event for open source big data, big data data store called Hadoop. And I am just thinking, okay, I don't know what happened and why I now need to do this, but it turns out that our our VP of sales had had uh, turned in his resignation uh, just the night before, and so he wasn't going to be able to represent us. So my boss said, you need to go. You know, I thought to myself, I could always say no and continue shopping and have a nice quiet evening and, you know, enjoy my shows on Sunday, or I can, you know, get my butt up and, and go to New York and represent the company. And I chose, I chose to do that. I took the risk and said, yes, and I'm going to go to New York. The next thing I know, I'm meeting with, I'm meeting with the folks at Cloudera and we're establishing a great, a great partnership. It was the beginning of the partnership between Cloudera and Gazang, which is the company that I was at at the time, which is a data encryption company, it turns out that that Cloudera had these grand plans to sell Hadoop, which is an open source tool, into the enterprise. But in order for them to do that, they needed data security. Enter my company, Gazang. We struck up a wonderful co-selling relationship with them. You know, when I was in New York, and they would go into the enterprise, talk a lot about big data and how they could help solve these massive, massive data problems that organizations were having. And you know what? You could feel confident that your data would be secure because here's Gazang, right? And so we struck up this wonderful relationship at the time. And then four years later, Cloudera acquired, actually it wasn't four years later, it was about two and a half years later, Cloudera acquires Gazang. And so it's these little moments in your life that you don't know where they're going to lead, but in the moment, you can say, oh, you know, gosh, I can, or you can just say, you know what? Yes, let's do it. Let, let me do this. Let me let me see what I can do. And that led to an amazing opportunity for me at Cloudera, where 
I, I went from the partner team when I joined because I was the, you know, I became the partner guy at Gazang all the way into a product marketing leadership and now into a, a VP of, of marketing role in my current job. And I don't think any of this would have happened had I, had I said no at the fish aisle in Costco. <laughs> That's amazing. What an incredible story. Just opportunities like that, you know, may feel like they don't come around all that often, but the reality is they are there all the time. Sometimes you don't see them as the opportunity that might produce through two, three, four years down the line, but literally every conversation, every trip, every engagement starts as something, and then you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, that's right. Your life is just a, a series of forks in the road, and you don't know which one to take. I'm a firm believer in saying yes as, as often as you can, because that's what makes it fun, right? If you if you say no to a lot, and I know there's this, there's often a mantra around, oh, you know, say no. If you say no, then that'll free you up to do the things you know are really important. And I and I and I really get that. And and of course, I don't want to take on more than I than I can. I don't want to put more on my team than I can. But it's a lot more fun to say yes, and the outcomes and the, the, the changes that can happen, the positive change that can happen in your life is just so much greater, I find, when you say yes to opportunities like that that come along. And so that was an easy call for me to make, by the way. It was, uh, it was just, it was very interesting, uh, the timing, but I knew that I, I knew that I had to do it and it was, it was important for the company. And, you know, I, I think it just goes along with how I, how I, you know, think through my career is if I say yes, more often than I say no, good things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Say yes as often as you can. And there's a fine line, right? As always with taking on too much and whatnot, but the big opportunities like getting a call from your CEO at Costco to fly to New York, eh, it's probably going to, you know, turn into something at least adventurous, even if it ended in disaster, it would have been a good adventure and been a great story to tell later. That's for Yeah, sure. you can't say no to going to New York anyway. If someone's offering yeah. you a trip to New York, you got to go. Yeah, got to right? go. Got to go. Right. Cool. All right, David. So last question here. If you were able to travel back in time and sit down with your younger self, who was walking into that room that Monday morning where there's 18 people around the table, first time in that people leadership position, but you know everything you know now, what advice would you share with your younger self? I would have been like, is that the shirt you're going to wear? <laughs> <laughs> no, like it's an honest uh, answer. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really how you're going to present yourself? <laughs> I, honestly, I would have said, I would, I would have, I think I would have said, uh, be humble, listen, and just understand that you don't have to know everything going in. Cause I do feel like when you, you, you have this opinion of your manager, whomever they may be, that they're really sharp and they've got it all figured out and they're, that they're the smartest person in the room. When in reality, if your manager is doing their job, they're actually the the least knowledgeable person in your room. You're, the the team surrounding them is are the smart people. You just benefit from them, right? As their manager, and at the time, I thought I just had to be the the person who knew everything and had all the answers, and that wasn't the case, and it didn't need to be the case. It's, it's never been the case with me, in fact. But I think that's the thing that I would have I would have wanted to just say to myself, hey, you know what, this is an amazing opportunity. Be humble about it and, and be humble, listen and appreciate where you are and how you know how you got here. Love it. Wonderful advice. Well, David, thank you so much for spending some time with me and this audience today. 
Talking about your leadership journey, the lessons learned, how to, you love saying yes and taking risks. It was uh, wonderful to hear some incredible stories and how it got you to where you are today. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, advice, and expertise. Great, had a blast. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.